The History of Literature podcast is a member of the Podglomerate Network and Lit Hub Radio. And before we start on this week's episode, I have a confession to make. I have never read a book in my life. It's true, and in all honesty, the content of this podcast is a combination of what I can absorb from Wikipedia articles in 10 to 12 minutes, and me just making stuff up. Books are a waste of time, and I am using the money from the Patreon to fund my gambling habit. Sorry to be frank, but if you are looking for answers in literature, you will not find them. You will only find truth inside a 24-ounce can of Monster Energy drink. And on that note, what's up? What's up? What's up? Sorry about that. This episode is sponsored by a new television program on Adult Swim called Joe Para Talks With You. The creator and writer Joe is a regular listener to the podcast and thought it would be funny to make me start the show that way. I promise that I have read a book and only use Patreon money to play the slots once in a while. So here we go. Joe Para, the comedian. Today, on the History of Literature. Okay, here we go. <laughs> that was fun. I've never had a scripted opening before. I've always had to just wing it on my own. I hope you enjoyed that bit of professionalism. And with that, my interns have all just burst into tears and stomped out of the room. I'm sorry, folks. The truth hurts sometimes. I know you work hard, but you turn in your unspeakable garbage and I tear it up week after week. You would know that already if you ever paid attention to the show, which you can't do if you're running down the street with your faces streaming with tears. Okay, so I'm Jack Wilson. This is an interesting show. Joe Para is going to be joining us. Joe Para defeats expectations. That's what a great that's that's what's great about Joe Para and his comedy. I like the way it reorients me. You know how this works. Stand up, a guy walks out, he nods at the crowd a bit, acknowledges them in some way, he starts in with his jokes. Can be he or she, of course. And the jokes can be one-liners, or they can be stories. They can have very different personalities, these stand-up comedians. But the pace is similar, the style is similar. You know what they're going to deliver, and then they deliver it. That's 
stand-up comedy. I love it. I love watching it. I'm fascinated by it. I love hearing a master practitioner like Jerry Seinfeld talking about it, really taking it apart and figuring it out, and talking about what makes a joke work. How do those words in that order make us laugh? Comedy shows are kind of the same thing. Movies, literature, we know what we're getting. Things can be very different inside the books, but for the most part, we read them the same way. And then there are disruptors. I talk about one of these with Joe. A comic strip called Jim's Journal by the genius Scott Dickers. Have you heard of Jim's Journal before? Or even the name Scott Dickers? Well, you might have heard of his other project, a satirical newspaper he started called The Onion. It's had some success. <laughs> but before that, Scott Dickers wrote a comic strip called Jim's Journal. This was in the heyday or the twilight of comic strips. Newspapers were soon to be replaced. And even the page itself was pretty moribund. I read it every day. Calvin and Hobbes, yes, a breath of fresh air. In the 90s, we'll have Bill Watterson on next week, by the way. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> that would be a dream guest. Bill, you're welcome to join us whenever you want. That, that would be incredible. He doesn't really give interviews. But Bill, you're, you're welcome anytime. So hey, there was Calvin and Hobbes back then, but it kept strange company. Peanuts in year 40 or whatever it was, was pretty tame by then. And Marmaduke, the Ryans, Family Circus, Beetle Bailey, Blondie. This was, let's say, 1992. The Lockhorns, Andy Cap. These comics were ancient. And the sensibility and the sense of humor was ancient. It was all okay when I was five. By the time I was 15 or 20 or 25, no thanks. Except for Calvin and Hobbes and a, a couple of others. But the format was so familiar. We had lived with it for 40 or 50 years. Panel, 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 panel. Sometimes three, sometimes four. Set up, set up, set up, punchline. Some wry humor. Or in the case of something like Garfield, one of... Four or five typical humorous tropes. He loves lasagna. He eats too much. He weighs too much. He's too lazy. He's mean to John. He scratches him. He scratches everything in the house. He's mean to the dog, Odie. John can't get a date. Handful of things. Set up, set up, set up. Punchline. That was how you read a comic strip. Jim's journal wasn't like that. The first one I ever read was a picture of Jim sitting on a stuffed chair. In the first panel, he says, I didn't do anything today. The second panel is just him sitting in the chair. No words. Third panel, same thing. Fourth panel, same thing. Just him in the chair with no words. That was it. That was his day. And a whole world opens up. This comic strip can suddenly do more. 
It can be about life. And I'm going to be on the edge. Not sure if the funny part will come at the beginning or the middle or the end. And yet, even though the punchline is not there, the joke is there. And I laugh out loud when I finish. Partly because of the idea. A journal about a day where you don't do anything and you feel like nothing's happening, just like the character Jim. But also because of the way it upends my expectations about what a comic strip will do. It knew what I was expecting, and it pulled the rug out from under me. I was laughing at myself. A kind of giddy relief, an embarrassment at my own confusion, as much as I was laughing at the comic. It's like those magic tricks where you're surprised that the cards somehow got into your own shoe or something. You're astonished, and then you laugh. And part of your laugh is because you were so astonished. Joe Perez's comedy works a little like this. In stand-up, the pace is all wrong. He might come out and look confused and scared for 10 seconds, as if he can't believe he's on television. He's choppy when you'd expect him to be smooth. He fumbles his own punchline. He's unpolished when you'd expect him to be polished. There's a part in the interview where he asked me if we can edit his answer, and I say that I will, but... Then I actually didn't, because it was much funnier to just leave it alone. And his new show, which I was lucky enough to preview, is like this too. It's 10 or 12 minutes long. The one I saw was about breakfast. It has very sincere shots of a diner with close-ups of breakfast food. You'd almost think it's a Food Network show. And it talks about the types of things you can order. Here's where a comedy show might throw in a joke, right? Three normal things and a zinger. Like they'd say, here are the items on the menu. Pancakes, eggs, your dignity. Pretty standard joke. Or something easy, like a guy comes in the diner and he just wants a blueberry muffin. And the only thing they have at this frou-frou diner is a coconut cream, chocolate, sea salt, blueberry kelp square. How many times have you heard a joke like that? On Joe's show, they show you the choices. Pancakes, eggs, bacon, melon, muffin, coffee, waffles, syrup, sausage, rye toast, donut, nanas on cereal. That's the list. Everything is plain, everything is basic, other than the very, very subtle change of saying nanas instead of bananas. Maybe there's a tiny hint of personality there, of idiosyncrasy shining through, but not really, not really, not very much. Really, it's just a list of the most basic breakfast foods you'd find at a diner, and you think, hmm... Well, that item is not funny. That one's not funny. And that one's not funny. Am I watching the right channel here? I thought this was a comedy show. Not funny. Not funny. This is just basic breakfast foods. What am I not getting? Wait, that's it? The list is over? They're moving out of the next thing now? Was that a joke? Did I miss the joke? And you start to fall into the pace and rhythm 
and mood of the show that has its own pace, its own rhythm, and its own humor. And you stop thinking, when is the joke coming? And you start thinking, I can't believe they're getting away with this. You get ready for something other than the humor that you've been trained to expect. Your anxiety is very high. Anything could happen. The tension, surprisingly, ratchets up. (laughs) You'd think it would be the other way around. You'd think it would dissipate, but no. It ratchets up. All from this plain list. If you're on board, the tension is high. I talk about this a bit with Joe. It's not very easy to describe, but it's a high wire act. And if you're into it, it builds and builds and builds until you're laughing at the understated tension. That's a Christopher Guest move, too. Buster Keaton did it. With Christopher Guest, the way sincerity would go on and on and go and go and go until something mildly comic has you rolling in the aisle crying with laughter. And you tell someone to go see it and they say, huh? I didn't get it at all. That's just how these things go. You have to be in the right frame of mind. (laughs) I am sure with 100% confidence that if my parents watched Joe's show, my father would be laughing his head off and my mother would be puzzled (laughs) and after it was over she would say well that was okay I guess would sail past her and meanwhile you could hear my father laughing down the street that's just their sensibility you could tell (laughs) if you know people well who's going to get it who's not going to get it anyway I talked to Joe about sustaining that kind of tone and the things that can happen to destroy it. So here we go. Joe Para, creator and star of the show, Joe Para Talks With You, which is coming soon to Adult Swim. I enjoyed this conversation a lot, and I enjoyed the show, and I hope you do too. Hey, grown-ups, the Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, Bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. 
Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Okay, joining me now is comedian Joe Para. In addition to his stand-up performances, Joe is a fixture on late-night talk shows like Conan and Late Night with Seth Meyers. His new show, Joe Para Talks With You, premieres on May 20th on Adult Swim. Joe Para, welcome to the History of Literature podcast. Hi, thank you very much for having me, Jack. I'm a, a, a long-time listener. It's an honor to be on the show. Oh, great. Uh, okay. So I have at least three things that I want to ask you about, but let's start with the show. Uh, tell me about okay. the new show, Joe Para Talks With You. Well, uh, first off, I apologize for the title. It's, it's, <laughs> a, kind of, it's a bad title, but um, it's basically each episode has its own uh, title, like uh, uh, Joe Para Takes You For Breakfast, uh, in which I take the viewer for breakfast, or uh, Joe Para Shows You How to Dance, in which I... Uh, uh, explain how to uh, dance at a co-worker's wedding if you're there by yourself or uh, Joe Parra takes you for a fall drive where uh, uh, I, I show viewers how to properly bury their pumpkin after Halloween. <laughs> and oh, so I... each each episode kind of has its own uh, like how-to and uh, there's a little story that kind of goes throughout the, 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 the season as well. Ah, I didn't know that pumpkins needed to be buried after Halloween. Oh, Yes. Is that out of respect for the the job that they've done, or is that like a superstitious, uh, you know, witchcraft kind of thing? Well, I don't want to give away too much, but basically, um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, when you carve a a, a pumpkin, uh, you give it a piece of your soul, mm. uh, one one sixteenth, yeah. and um, because of that, you've got to, uh, uh, to give it the the proper respect instead of just letting it rot on the, the porch step. Yeah, that makes sense. And I suppose that makes uh, those kids who grab pumpkins off the porch and smash them in the street, uh, they are, it's a, a real act of violence to do that. Definitely. I mean, I understand the urge, but um, yeah, it's best to be more more respectful than that. <laughs> okay, so I watched the breakfast episode. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, and are there, how many episodes are there? Nine total. There were supposed to be ten, but they asked us to combine the final two into one big finale episode. Hmm. And in that episode, you play a teacher at one point. Is that something that we see throughout the series? Yeah, I, I'm a, a choir teacher in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and hmm. uh, it's, it's uh, comes in and out. But you know, there's some stuff where we, we see my students do a show and. Uh, and it's about, you know, factors in, but most of it happens outside the school. Have you ever taught in real life? No. Um, no. But you're... It's very hard. Hard to play a teacher? Imagine. Oh, hard to be a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, we were, we had the, there were middle school age kids that we, we, uh, 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 that we worked with because it, it takes place at a middle school and uh, it was pretty overwhelming. They, the, the other uh, actress, Joe Firestone, uh, had to, uh, she had to, to teach her, she had to kind of, I don't know how to put it, but she had to be acting with a group of students and conduct a, a pit orchestra and they like really bullied her throughout the day. Mm. It seems like it's uh, pretty intimidating. 
<laughs> yeah, I think so. So did you base your portrayal on any real life teachers that you had? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And, um, I, uh, I went to school with the uh, at a, at a college where they've got a, a big music education program. So oh. I've got a number of friends who are actually middle school music teachers themselves, and they kind of offered advice and uh, also kind of, you know, if my life went down a different path, I could be a middle school choir teacher perhaps. So I, I kind of based it on that. Mm. Now, I don't want to spoil the ending of the episode, and I won't, but... I'll have to tell you, I got a little misty at the end of it. Were you going for a, an emotional impact? <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. I appreciate it, considering the big question of the episode is what am I going to eat for breakfast? <laughs> I know, but <laughs> there's some. the music is kind of swelling, and I felt like <laughs> we had been on this journey together. And by the end, I felt like I was very invested in your decision. Oh, did we, you don't have to say what it was either, but were you uh, excited about what I ordered? <laughs> it felt like the perfect ending. Wow. <laughs> oh, thanks, Jack. Is that yeah, how? I guess. What, yeah. Is that how all the episodes are structured? They sort of, uh, they just take a, a real slice of life, a real narrow look at something. They're all kind of different, which is what we, we, we set out to do. They've all kind of, uh, I think they kind of evolve as we set forward and kind of as other characters get introduced. Mm-hmm. But um, like you mentioned, I, I think one of the goals in making it was to, to have some kind of a emotional pull on the show and uh, or, or to go along with the comedy because I really think it helps the comedy. And then I think one of the funnier things you could do is get people emotionally invested in stuff like a breakfast order or something that's not typically emotional. I think that if you can create a, some kind of a, I don't know. I think it's funny when people are feeling something and they're not quite sure why, or when they think about it, it's silly, but, but uh, if if you can kind of find something like that and, and dig in, I think that's pretty fun. Yeah. And the the breakfast crew and the the family with the the friend who's trying to get the perfect breakfast bite. I mean, I felt like even though these were all very uh, very basic and understated premises, uh, it it really I I did find myself really carried along with it. And I suppose the length is part of it. I mean, I think if this was an hour long show, it would maybe be. <laughs> It would be hard hard to sustain, but but at the length it is, uh, it was great. Yeah. Well, believe it or not, uh, uh, we had. I mean, this might sound ridiculous, but we we kept saying we could do uh, breakfast part two and part three, and <laughs> we were serious about it. We had enough breakfast concepts and stuff. A bunch got cut out, but um, like one of the things that I, I one thing that got cut out was um the exploration of what makes up the best breakfast crew. And, um, but, uh, I, I think I figured it out, you know, you know what it is? What? Uh, your full grown sons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there was going to be a whole section on that. that we, yeah. <laughs> have a whole lot of back. So it, it could have been a longer episode, but you're definitely right. It's probably best at 11 minutes. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was great. So uh, you have a very distinctive comedic style in your stand-up and, and also in the show. And I'm wondering, when you were growing up, were there any comedians you admired in particular? Um, yeah, sure. There's a, a whole lot. Um, I really like the, I don't know, uh, uh, oh boy, this is overwhelming. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I like the classics. I like people who are really strong joke writers. Uh-huh. Um, well, were you watching um, Johnny Carson or David Letterman <laughs> or any of those guys? No, not really. I, um, my dad would, I, I don't think I appreciated watching old episodes of Carson until later. Mm-hmm. One of the co-writers of the show is a huge Carson fan, mm. but yeah. Or Sorry, this is a bad that, answer. Well, that's okay. Were there any, it seems like you have more than you can kind of put your finger on. Were there any television shows or anything that you found yourself gravitating toward? Um, well, I mean, I, I think, one of the big ones was was Christopher Guest movies. Really. Oh, I had written that down. That was going to be my next question. I oh, was really? going to say Christopher Guest, maybe. That that's the one yeah. person that I thought I could see you watching that and thinking this person and this this comedy style. Uh, this person thinks like me. This person finds the things funny that I find funny. I mean, I wish I wish uh, I I thought like him, but um, it is. I don't know the way that he's able to um, focus on, on, on getting jokes out of minutia and and uh, uh, really funny but but real seeming characters and mm. um, I don't know and also I just admire like while he's doing that he's also able to go for huge laughs at the same time yeah like over just the goofiest stuff it feels like he can do uh, you know or do that do the highest brow and then also just a, a great physical comedy too which i think is something that's uh, makes for a really great comedy do you remember his character in best in show uh harlan pepper uh yes <laughs> i could picture harlan pepper being at the diner in the in the breakfast episode <laughs> <laughs> Right. That'd be funny. <laughs> yeah, but even I mean, it's a real character. But even just his name it makes you laugh. Yeah, and just the uh, where he's naming nuts when he's sitting in the car, and he just uh, maybe I'll drop a little snippet of that into the episode so people can remember uh, Christopher Guest yeah. and uh, such a genius. <laughs> I used to be able to name every nut that there was. And that used to drive my mother crazy because she used to say, Harlan Pepper, if you don't stop naming nuts. And the joke was, of course, that we lived in pine nut. And I think that's what put it in my head at that, at that point. So I'd go to sleep. She'd hear me in the other room, and she would just start yelling. I'd say, peanut, hazelnut, cashew nut, macadamia nut. That was the one that would send her <laughs> into a, going crazy. She said, you stop naming nuts. And Hubert used to be able to make the sound 
And he wasn't talking, but he was going. It sounded like macadamia nut. Pine nut, which is a nut, but it's also the name of the town. Pistachio nut. Red pistachio nut. Natural, all natural white pistachio nut. Okay, the other yeah. thing I thought, and this is a real long shot. Um, sure. Did you ever encounter the comic strip uh, Jim's Journal? No. Okay. No, sorry. Okay. So that <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a, a, a comic strip that Christopher Guest made up. Yeah. <laughs> for, for like a fake title of a comic strip. It was actually a comic strip that uh, a guy named Scott Dickers, who went on to be the founder of The Onion, uh, he wrote this comic strip when he was in college. And really, yeah, and it's uh, it's very deadpan, very dry, and a, a it, it's such understated comedy that I thought it might be something that uh, you would have appreciated had it ever come your way no but i have to look that up for sure yeah uh okay so tell me about you're you're not exactly the uh the most likely of performers tell me what it was like the first time you took the stage to do your stand-up um i mean i was very genuinely scared yeah i think um yeah i, I still am in many regards i just kind of um I don't know. It's a, a muscle that you just, or no, I don't know. There's nothing normal about talking at people and having them listen um, like that. It seems like, uh, I, I don't know. A lot of times when I haven't done it in a while, I think, um, you know, uh, why don't you guys watch a movie? There's uh, hundreds of people that work to make movies and they got uh, celebrities like, you know, Rock Johnson and stuff. Yeah, but um, why are you just want to see me talk on stage? But and uh, once you get over that and you just do it more frequently, that question goes away, and you just kind of think of it as uh, something normal that you do, and you just kind of focus on the jokes, and then the the rest hopefully works out. Had you thought about it? Was it something that you wanted to do, or were your friends telling you that you were funny and you should do it, or what? What 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 drove you to do it the first time? I don't know. I uh, I think in, uh, I uh, I don't. I, my friend Dan Lakata and I we went to, to middle school, high school uh, together, and we just we, he was more of a clown outright than I was. He was, uh, but I was amused by him. And in high school, we just started writing jokes, and they were horrible. But then we we, we started doing it, and when we were in college, and then. Um, we, now he helped me write the show. Hmm. So I kind of think we both kind of pushed each other into it and we're testing each other, uh, jokes out on one another for a, for a long time. And I, I should have started in high school, but I started the freshman year of college. And you had material ready? You had written some jokes? Enough, but they were, they were pretty bad looking back. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember any that did well? Hmm. No, or, none that I want to share on the podcast <laughs> with smart listeners. <laughs> Do you remember any that bombed? <laughs> you may, maybe you don't want to share those either. Yeah. <laughs> well, somehow you made it. 
you've you've had quite a bit of success. And one of the things that interests me just thinking about stand-up comedy is that you you not only have to write jokes, but you're also creating a persona on stage, a character to deliver the jokes. Was that something you were conscious of when you first took the stage, or did you just plan to go up there being you? Uh, a little bit of both. I think it, it's some. I don't know. I think your perspective develop has to develop kind of organically. Yeah. And you just kind of figure out by just repeating it over and over and repeating the joke writing. And I guess that's why uh, I really love stand-up even more than writing the show and why I probably couldn't write a book like you is because I love the, 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 the kind of instant feedback that kind of will help me sharpen stuff yeah. every single night. Yeah. It's so cool to be able to test stuff out and then know uh, that night, that, the same night that you've written something, if it's good or not. And I, I, I really like that. Yeah. And it's also so much of your, uh, your act and your standup is, is your particular way of delivering the jokes. And so are you able to uh, have others write jokes for you or is it something, you know, that you have to kind of develop it because you need to find it funny or how does that work? It's kind of strange. Uh, Dan, uh, Dan and I have been writing together for so long. He was one of a, a few writers on the show and he was the one who kind of got the actual you know, a lot of the writers are very good scripts, but in, uh, in terms of like getting the language and the, the, the joke formatting it down in my style, he was able to kind of do it effortlessly because we've been working together so long. And, um, but I ultimately, I, what was the question? How it is to have writers who are working for you, if they're able to write in your style, if it's hard to find people who can write in your particular style. Well, I mean, everybody on the show knows what makes me laugh. That's why I, I chose them. But right. uh, Dan was very good at getting the language just right. And so, so were the other writers. But, like, I think for the final couple passes of the scripts, I had to um, read them out loud and hear everything myself because even I don't know sometimes. And just, you know, to get that final edit, you gotta. I have to hear it out loud, and then I need. I know exactly how the sounds of the words need to uh, work together, and like the rhythms of it. Because um, it, I, you know, I, I talk kind of slow, mm-hmm. uh, so it's, it's very important to get the words right, or else everybody's gonna get bored. Right. <laughs> right, and it's such a dry humor. I could see how a writer who doesn't quite get it right it could easily become kind of a parody of itself. Sure. Cause yeah, it's kind of goofy, but it's also got to be sincere in a way. Yeah. Uh, I hope at least. And because, you know, then it's just goofy one liners or I kind of have to just feel what's right and what's wrong about each line and, and also hear it. And that's how the only way I can edit the scripts. Yeah. And I had a question here that I was thinking of and I actually, kind of crossed it out. I was changing my mind as I wrote it. Uh, I was going to say, just as sort of an example for the audience, that it would be difficult to imagine if someone like Chris Rock delivered your material, or if you were... 
you can see why I crossed this out. And then my next thing was going to be, or if you delivered a Chris Rock routine, it would be completely different. But then I thought that actually would probably be pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Because <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I think so too. Because I think it was pretty, is, yeah, because we're pretty different. I think if it was something in between, it might get weird. Yeah. Yeah. And at the bottom, they're, they're jokes, especially if you knew kind of the premise, you know, that this was Joe Para reading a, a Chris Rock routine. Um, I think it would come through how different the syntax was and the emphasis that he would put on it. Um, so anyway, maybe... uh, yes, you would have to, you'd have to say, this is Joe Para doing Chris Rock's jokes. Otherwise, if I just went up there and started doing Chris Rock's jokes, <laughs> they would... <laughs> It would be a disaster. Yeah. Have you ever had a joke that you knew was kind of objectively funny, but you thought it just doesn't work with your persona? You had to leave it out of your stand-up? Oh, yeah. There's there's so many yeah. um, things that we cut from the show that were very funny, but just didn't fit the tone. Yeah. It's, it's hard because it feels like you get a couple moments where you can really break it. Uh, but for the most part, and in editing too, and with the director, it was like, is this in line with the tone of the show? Because when things move so slow, the, the tone is so delicate that if, mm. if something throws it or sh- shows the audience that you're not serious about maintaining this uh, type of uh, a comedy, uh, the whole thing falls apart. Yeah. I could see where one joke could kind of destroy the whole episode. Sure. You got to save, you know, if I say, um, yeah, no, the, the temptation to, to, to swear or do something outrageous is pretty big, especially when it is so um, delicate, but the whole thing will break. Yeah, that actually could break your whole act, right? You know, it's like the uh, you could do a, th- a thing where it'd be like Mr. Rogers swearing or something where it would it would be so shocking that it would make everyone laugh. But you you probably couldn't do that very often before it would turn into a gimmick and it would kind of make the rest of your act harder to follow. Right. So it's kind of walking a fine line. Like I've got a joke now. Um, I'm trying to remember. Oh, yeah. Um um, I, it's like, uh, I, I don't like role play because, uh, or I, I don't think I ever want to do role play because, uh, when I've, uh, oh, shit, can you edit this? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I haven't done it in a while because of the content, but it's, uh, uh, I, I don't, I don't do role play because when I finally come for the first time, I'd like to do it as myself. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> there's no way back from that once you say that in a set and I, yeah. I feel real guilt of going there but like it's very much surprising and uh yeah it's if 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 the, the, the this if it's the right moment to pull that out or something like that it's yeah. very effective but once you say that it's over and also I can't uh, do any taglines for that joke because it gets too gross when right. people actually think about it. Right, because you do kind of walk this line. There's a joke in the uh, breakfast episode where they they basically say, your face looks like you're 10, but your bald spot makes me think you're 65. <laughs> and you're sort of in that man-child, um, you know, I, I, 
I like the joke, the role play joke, because it reminds me that you're an adult, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but I can see where you don't want to kind of destroy the innocence side of your persona either. Right. The character on the show was raised by his grandparents. And uh, I think that that's like the large, I don't know if it's really in that episode, but that's kind of where it's from. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and also I think like you saw uh, the one uh, the guy with the perfect egg. Yeah, it allows him to kind of play on that too comedically and like have counterbalances to it. My buddy Gene, who told talked about the Breakfast Crew, he's kind of uh, comedically in line with me, hmm. and seeing both of us together, that's where that humor comes from. But then when you pair me with. Uh, Connor, that's the, the, the really the Connor O'Malley is the, the actor's name. It's it's pretty interesting because he'll be the opposite. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and he's he's trying to get a victory. He needs a win. He says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he can he can swear and do whatever I wish I could do. Yeah, or you know feel that urge, but uh, you know by keeping them separate, I think it's funnier. Yeah, also, yeah. I'll let I'll let him go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For swearing. <laughs> okay, so I had heard originally that you were going to write a few jokes about literature for the episode. Did I get that right, or is there? do we have anything we could hear? No, I okay. went on vacation okay. to the Everglades <laughs> last week and was, I ate mangoes and I didn't do my homework. I'm sorry, Jack. <laughs> okay, well, I've written a couple, and I would love to have a professional comedian's opinion. Can I try them on you? Yes, please. Okay, here we go. Knock, knock. Who's there, Jack? Paul Theroux. Oh, shit. I... <laughs> Paul... <laughs> okay, let's try again. Knock, knock. Who's there? Paul Theroux. Uh, uh, Paul Theroux who? Come on, VS. It's me, Paul. Open the door. <laughs> now, for that, for that to work... I guess I need to explain that Paul Theroux and V.S. Naipaul have a big feud. And they were once big friends. I guess if you have to explain the joke, it doesn't really work. No. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm sure other regular podcast listeners are dying, but okay. um, I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with them. Okay. Okay, let me, try one, let me try one more. Sure. Ernest Hemingway and Emily Dickinson walk into a bar. Dot, dot, dot. That's it. That's the punchline. That was all I could come up with. I just thought the idea of those two together was kind of funny. (laughs) Yes, you crack up a bunch of professors, but I don't know if that would work at a New York club. Well, <laughs> I guess I should. I guess I should stick to uh, literature podcasting and not try to uh, jump into the world of stand up. No, I think if you want to try it, you should go for it. But um, yeah, it's just a very specific audience, I think. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much. The show is called Joe Para Talks with You, and it's coming on uh, May 20th to Adult Swim. Joe Para, thank you very much for speaking with me tonight, and I hope you have much success with your new show. Thanks, Jack. I appreciate it. Can I ask you something? Oh, sure. Um, 
One of my favorite episodes of, of the podcast was the Man of Bovary episode. Yes. And I, I told that that was real nice that you, you, you went and um, chased down your lover. Well, not chased <laughs> yeah. down, but you, yeah. you, yeah, you did. You pursued her to I another did. country and yep. you, you found her in a, an alley and all because you guys, right? Yeah, sounds very creepy when you say it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know <laughs> if it was I an alley. It. Yeah, it was her apartment. Yeah, but it oh, was. Oh, I thought you met her on the street. Uh, yeah, well, I met a guy on the on the bus who directed me toward her and knew where she lived, and so I was able oh. to uh, I was able to find her at her apartment. But yeah, it was it was a little stalkerish, I have to say. So it was it was not totally uncreepy, I guess. Although I I sure. tried to tried to make it a little prettier than that in the Madame Bovary episode. Well, you had known each other, and you've been writing letters back and forth. But you, you, you traveled to a different continent to to meet her. Yep. And uh, I thought that that was a, a, a very sweet story. But then I was inspired to to read Madame Bovary by the episode, <laughs> and I was the whole time I was thinking. Why would you ever want to do a relationship after reading this book? <laughs> yeah, I didn't really think about that. That's actually not no. such a great love story, is it? <laughs> I mean, I mean it, it is. It's just, I don't know. I yeah. was thinking, what a, I guess it is brilliant writing. But um, yeah, when the, they were amputating that guy's leg, I was like... <laughs> This is an interesting book to connect with your wife about. <laughs> That's right. I guess most of the books I read are probably probably not much better. I mean, I I uh, I took a trip to Italy last summer and I dragged along Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, and while my uh, kids were out, you know, eating <laughs> eating gelatos and and running around the piazzas in this bright sunny Italy, I was. I was in a deep, morbid state. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I actually picked that up as I was. Uh, we were starting to film, and I was. Uh, I, I thought I can't read this right now. This is too intense and too dark. <laughs> Not for for this show. It's too much. Right. Well, I think a lot of people uh, listen to the podcast episodes so they don't have to actually read the books and they uh, they can just get their dose of it in a, uh, you know, while they're on the exercise bike or commuting or something. And maybe it saves them from descending into those dark places. That's true. <laughs> Although you should, if I don't know, you should demand that they read the book at the end of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. As you sign off. By the way, read the damn book. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because the most popular episode, the most downloaded episode, is the one uh, that's titled Overrated Books You Don't Need to Read. And so I think people are. <laughs> people must be looking for a podcast about literature that tells them what literature to skip. Is the only conclusion I can draw from that. <laughs> well, that's sad. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay. Well, I hope you're able to give Madame Bovary another try at another, you know, another I, date. I did love it. I just didn't find much romance in it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks again, Joe. And I'm glad to hear that you uh, enjoyed the Madame Bovary episode and the book. And I think uh, maybe. We'll close this episode by telling people that they need to watch the damn show. 
Hey, that's good. <laughs> There's my, my book podcast, Watch Television. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Joe. Have a good night. Thanks, you too, Jake. Okay, there we go. Wasn't that great? I enjoyed that a lot. Such a nice guy, such a funny guy. Do check out his show on Adult Swim and all his other materials, his videos, and everything else which you could find at joepera.com. That's J-O-E-P-E-R-A.com. You can find out more from us at historyofliterature.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm on Twitter at the Jack Wilson. We have a good show coming up with Mike Palindrome, another draft. A draft that has never been done before. We go after a real literary sacred cow in this one. The Big Kahuna. I'll let your imagination run wild with that. If you'd like to support our show, we're at patreon.com slash literature. As always, a million thank yous to all the patrons who have signed up already. Your support is very much appreciated. I was a little blue last time when we started the Kurt Vonnegut episode when I introduced it. My apologies for that. I've since recovered, and I'm back to my old self. Which is pretty blue, actually. (laughs) But I tamp it down. Anyway. (laughs) Maybe it was the literary jokes that have cheered me up. Those went over great, didn't they? Great like the Hindenburg. Gar was laughing. Not exactly with me, though. Here's the joke I should have written. Knock, knock. Who's there? Awkward silence. (laughs) Oh, and that Madame Bovary episode is there. If you want to check it out, you'll... Ah, it's back in our archives. You'll hear all about the book, and the lover, and me, and I guess the alley. We'll call that Joe's take on the story. Maybe maybe I mentioned an alley in there. I don't remember. Anyway, hope you enjoy. I'm Jack Wilson. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. (laughs) 